you for downloading this Artist Talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia for the 2016 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art. In this live recording, artist Michael Zavros addresses his work on display in Magic Object and explains the meticulous technique he has developed in his practice. Thank you. Um, and, and welcome to the, the florist of the, <laughs> the, the magic object show. I was just thinking before when, when Jackie was speaking that there is this lovely curated, curated moment between us where, um, you know, as these magic illusionists, uh, we have a, a photographer who is making work that appears on the surface almost like painting, but in here are paintings that I guess play with photography. So, so some, some nice magic, magic there already. But, um, so I've been making uh, still life work in, in different ways for the last uh, couple of years. Um, and and these, these here are some of the more elaborate um, and more exciting works that we've borrowed some from collections. And then th this piece is a, a new work for, uh, for this exhibition. And I really wanted to make something, um, well, I, I think it's the, the exciting thing about being an artist in, in a, a biennial like this is that you have the opportunity to do something that is maybe a little, little bit outside of your comfort zone or, or go for that masterpiece gesture, which, which you, know, you, you, you don't always do as an artist. But um, I definitely wanted to create a big, um, elaborate work that, that really was, was a part of this place. And some years ago, I... Um, visited um, this gallery for the first time, and I, I remember so clearly seeing this this fantastic gold centerpiece um, downstairs in 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 the gallery, and also the the, the silver trophy. Actually, there's, there's a gold and a silver version of of um, of that piece, and I just knew straight away that I, I wanted to somehow incorporate this collection, um, the, the this famous decorative arts collection, in, into this work. I have, I have an interest in, um, in, in the decorative, um, both sort of conceptually and, and physically, in, in what I do. It's, it's, it's something that often realist painters are criticised for, and that, that realist painting is kind of a decorative device. But I kind of embrace that, and I, and I, and I play with that, and none more so than, than this phoenix. Um, a phoenix, of course, is a, a, a mythical, magical bird, and, and we don't really know what they look like because they're completely invented. So I, I, I got to um, add all sorts of good stuff to this. But the, the day that I, I came down here um, to, to make this, because I work from photography and I, I pretty much assembled what you see um, before you, and I was very fortunate to be able to do that because they're very precious pieces and I wasn't sure that I could actually... Um, stick the flowers and, and other pieces around them, but um, Robert Reason watched over me very carefully for a few hours and he, he let me do exactly this. And if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't have um, had all of this, this crucial, lovely information about where two colours meet or where reflections are happening. So I was down here for a day and I, I shot this uh, without the palms and, and went home and, and painted in, in a hurry from about September last year. So here is the, 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 the phoenix. Um, the interesting thing too f for me um, is that in, in, in recent um, months and some of these works are sort of leading up to this but, but very much this one is that I've had a, a profound shift in, in the way that, that I paint in that I now paint very much like the old masters do and I was feeling a bit, um, a bit disappointed with some of my works feeling that the, the colours were, were a bit anemic and so I actually investigated ways of sort of 
creating the, the sort of tonal structure, the, the, the meat behind the, the, the paint, and then doing these, these, these layers of, of very bright, very, very pure colour. And, and, and that was how um, painters hundreds of years ago achieved these, these unbelievably bright paintings that, um, that, that are still so vibrant today. So anyway, that, that, that's something that I, I really got into with, with this work. Um, the, I, I'm, I've long sort of been interested in, in my practice broadly about, um, well, I, I love beauty, I'm this, this sort of shameless aesthete, but, but I love the, the fleeting nature of youth and beauty and how, how we are kind of drawn to this in contemporary culture in so many different ways, but these are issues that, that still life painters have, have loved and, and have sought to freeze in time, quite literally, that, that this thing that, that, that decays right in front of you. And I, I buy these armfuls of, of expensive blooms in, in Brisbane where it's incredibly hot and they really do just, just melt so fast. And they're so incredibly precious. And, I, and I'm just I'm so drawn to this. I'm fascinated by, by flowers at the moment. But um, yes, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just rabbiting on now. But. I, I wanted to ask about um, um, the great fantastic. Thank you, thanks. Thanks. Um, Michael, I, I just wanted to, to sort of draw um, the audience's attention to and also ask you about these, um, these sculptural works uh, here sort of in the, in, in the, in the centre of the space, um, uh, beautiful flowers, um, but with, with a dye in, in, in the water, so slowly um, the kind of dye seeping up, you know, through the stems and, 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 and colouring. And I really like that idea of kind of... Um, uh, sort of artificiality and naturalness and, and, the, and the sort of play between that, but also the idea of the, I guess, the artist as, as magician, that, you know, that, that it's all, all a kind of a trick based on uh, a representation of reality. Yes. Um, very, very simple magic uh, here in the, <laughs> in, in the floral angels, but um, I guess they're a, they're a little bit of an extension of a performance piece that I... Um, uh, mounted at the Melbourne Art Fair a couple of years ago, and I, I had uh, the Stenmark twins. I don't know if you know who they are, but they're these spectacular-looking six-foot-six, um, you know, perfect mirror image uh, male model twins. And they they gave out chocolate coins on, on my behalf at, at the opening of of, um, of our show at the Melbourne Art Fair. And I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by twinning and and that, that uncanny nature of of these two sort of perfect, imperfect. Um, likenesses and, and, and how that maybe speaks to the kind of mimicry that, that, that I'm interested in and that kind of, that kind of magic as well. Um, so I, I created the, um, the twins, which is what, what these guys are. Um, at, at home I experimented a bit in my studio, but I, I was seeking these identical twin white bouquets that would uh, slowly change over the, 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 um, the, 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 the course of the, the installation. These guys went pretty quick. Um, so we had our <laughs> we had our preview on on Friday, and within a few hours they they were really starting to colour. Um, but for a few hours they they looked just like um, a couple of matching centerpieces here in, in in the room. But um, as as days go by, they they become um, these these artificial mutant versions of each other, which is uh, fun. And I, I'd I'd like to thank uh, at this point um, Tint uh, Flowers. Um, Rick and Jan Frolic who are, who are helping me with this and who will be helping me in, in, in coming weeks but uh, I, I couldn't have done it without, <laughs> without them. But, um, you mentioned simple magic but there's a lot of old magic and people would, when people think about this way of painting, 
through the contemporary art lens, it's often seen as such an anachronism. Like, why would you bother? Why do people bother to paint like this anymore? Hasn't the camera made this completely an obsolete craft? You know, why, why would you go to these painstaking efforts to assemble uh, something which, you know, is kind of anamorphic? You have to look at it in a certain way. The poodle appears through the hydrangeas, then photograph it, then paint, as you say, daily, hourly, over thousands and thousands of minutes recreate this. Do you want to just talk to what, because your work, this is your signature, this is your thing, so what is that for you? Um, you're right, there is this, um, it's, it's this thing that I've wanted to do ever since I was, I was very little and I just, I loved um, being able to replicate that thing that was in front of me and to, to, to sort of see it and keep it down to my fingertips and, and recreate this thing and, and, and over time the, the relevance or, or complete lack of relevance of, of this thing that I love to do has been challenged and, um, and I find that interesting when sometimes I appear to be going against the grain or perhaps fashion swing or all of that, that sort of thing but, but seeking to find a relevance for this thing that I love has, has always been um, uh, key to, to, to what I do so that somehow how I make these works, which is this sort of lovingly rendered uh, mimicry of a photograph, and, and what I make uh, are reflected somehow in each other. So there's this kind of system within the work that there's this almost this vainglorious kind of insistence on, on, on its, its own life with, within, the, within the canvas. Yeah, but, but you're right, I mean, the, a, a photograph of, of that poodle would, would behave very similarly to, to, a, to a painting of it, but um, I think that there is something with thinking about time and playing with time that, that I was, was talking about before where you come to this knowing that it, 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 it bears those, those hours of, of the artist's hand and, and I think that that adds another layer of the, you know, the, the, the fleeting nature of, of, of this thing. Um, I, I think about time a lot in, in relation to, to what I make and, and sort of marking time, I guess. But, hmm. Uh, Michael, given the um, extraordinary amount of time that it, that it takes to render these works and, and, and looking at these works in themselves as um, you know, individual kind of objects that you've put so much of your time and kind of effort and, and, and heart into, when uh, you know, you're a very collectible artist and, and, and a great market for your work, when, when these works go off to, to, to kind of homes, do you, do you feel a, a sense of loss or attachment to the work or is it all about just sort of continuing on and, and, and making more work, I guess, about your own personal attachment to, to the individual object, because that's, I guess, the amazing thing that, you know, most of the people in this room, you know, myself included, don't have the ability to do, they don't have the ability to create, you know, incarnate, to create something out of nothing, and then, I guess, the sense of loss that you might feel. Um, I, I don't have so much a sense of loss. Um, I, I enjoy making them, and um, I'm usually pretty happy for them to, to, to leave me by the end of it. Um, Often I, I feel a loss when I've painted, I, I paint my daughter a lot and there's something very, very personal about those works and I, I do feel, um, I, I, find that, I find them very hard to let go of. Um, but I, I, it fascinates me that, that the trophy-like nature of, of the thing that, that I make and, and over the last decade or so I've, I have played with my work becoming a kind of trophy um, and, and, and that, that interests me, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a positive, negative, value-adding thing. That um, yeah, that's a, a good question. Sorry. I think we've got quite a little bit of time for a couple of questions from the audience. Mr. Follin, do you want this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you used the term against the grain before, and when I look at your your particular research, do you know that text at all? Um, 
Oh, that's going to make my question very different. <laughs> but can you talk a little bit, because it's not... It's not a microphone, but I can get one. Because um, you're not just painting flowers, you're pla- pl- painting flowers and arrangements that are incredibly extravagant, to, to a point of almost a kind of fakeness. These, these things in the front here, these sculptures, you know, there's a sense of them being that, that kind of step beyond nature somehow. Can you talk about those, you know, the arrangements a little bit more? Yeah, um... I, I think a lot about performance in, in my work. Um, um, n- not so much these things, um, well, what, very much these things, but in, in recent years, so much writing about what it is that I make, or uh, often a lot of contemporary writing is more to do with the artists um, and, and their work and the, the, the analogies that we like to make between an artist and, and what they make, a bit like you know, how people look like their pets. But um, I, I think that there is this interesting performance that's, that, that, that I've started to play with between what I make and how I make it and maybe what I look like or more, what my life looks like. And, and I, I kind of I fuel that and I'm fascinated by that. And um, when, I, when I make these works, there is this performative element where I think, you know, I, th- I think of, of, of the painting technique and I'm always sort of hiding my tracks. There's this flatness to, to, to what I do and I'm sort of not really letting the, the viewer in, that there's, that, that there's no real, not, not a real sense of the artist's hand, but I think these works really, you have a sense of this, this artist in his studio sort of playing with his nice things and almost in this, this, this kind of decadent boredom, just creating these, these very sort of humorous moments and then that's kind of the creative moment, which can last a long time um, or be very brief. But the, the 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 physical making of the work, that process, is a completely different process. It's no longer creative for me. It's this this careful sort of technical rendering, and um, which I think is starkly different to to someone like like Nell, perhaps, who who's that that creative moment just just happens throughout the process of the work whereas for me it, it it's finished once i've made those choices and and decided what i'm doing the rest of it sort of technical hard work but i don't know if that answers yeah, it does, it does i mean you mentioned the trophy as well and i guess the trophy is that that yeah yeah absolutely and 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 i think it's interesting you know i will spend a thousand dollars on a on a Waterford crystal vase that I just think is the shape of a of, of, of an octopus, and it's this kind of curious value adding, and I, I'm I'm fascinated by you know this painting of a trophy of this crystal vase within a <laughs> within a painting, and you know it's a, I'm sure I say to my wife we'll we'll use it again, <laughs> we'll, but but, but, <laughs> but it was worth it, you know. <laughs> Another question from the audience. Yes. Can I? Here you go. Um, does working in such a, like a tight technique does that cause any like physical issues after a while? Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, it, it does. Um, I. Um, I like to stand when I paint. When I make really miniature small works, I sit down. But when I do these, I stand for long hours. And because I was in a hurry to do this, I was up at five and I'd paint before breakfast and then a full day and then I'd go home and do a little bit after dinner. But that is pretty taxing. And I had an injury about two years ago that was for, for six months I could barely barely hold a, a paintbrush in, in this hand and that was incredibly frustrating and, and scary for me. I started to, to, to train myself to paint left-handed and it was a bit abstract. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I think it, it, there is a real physical, physical you know, uh, 
component to you know long hours and and fine sort of you know, you know, m many many motions in in a second at times. But yeah. Thank you. Uh, hi, Michael. Uh, you referred earlier to going back to the old master's techniques. So was each one of these a Grisale painting before um, underneath? And did you use uh, burnt umber or black? Burnt umber, right. Just explain that kind of process of working. So um, I, I painted, um, just studying those, those techniques, about you, you would put down a ground, like, like a, a medium, a, a mid-colour, a mid that you then would add dark and, and light to, um, and, and literally start to, to build up a, a tonal range to, to give the, 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 the meat or the structure to, to the, 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 the work and to start to sort of um, create those 3D effects, I guess. Um, and then we, you, you use quite, quite um, um, translucent skeins of, of very bright colours. The, the problem, the, the reason that I do that, I guess, is that I'd noticed over the years that when you mix these fantastic reds or greens or whatever it is with with white, thinking that you're going to get this tonal range, you you just don't. It just it, it kills the colours, and so you sort of have to find other ways of um, of yeah getting that to, to sit like that and to maybe be a bit um, transparent. But I'm, I'm sort of learning those things. You know, you, you read books, or I, I you, you travel the world and go and see see these these great master works. You know, in, in some of the, the world's best museums. And the more the more I find that I paint, I, I feel like I can read an artist's work when I when I look at look at the surface. And it's something that I, I didn't used to be able to do. But now I, I see the same sorts of concerns, I guess, um, and and try and figure it out. <laughs> but, Michael is certainly the kind of master illusionist of the painted form at the Art Gallery of South Australia, but I just wanted to implore you all to get down to Samstag, if you haven't already, to see the work of Chris Bond. And I'm going to ask Michael to respond to Chris's work, because I'm kind of interested in the connections. Chris is kind of like the love child of Michael Zavros and Gareth Sansom, because he inhabits a whole other kind of personality to make the work. But Chris Bond has made painted some books and he hasn't painted the books as in taken a book and painted the cover he's made paintings that look so much like books that no one believes me when I tell them they don't believe me but I've seen them in the studio and I've seen them emerge and they are absolutely paintings, they are fictions uh, the, the books themselves are completely fictitious in fact the, the character that he, he inhabits to create these books is of course fictitious Do, can you give me a perspective on, I see him as your kind of twin in a way, to, to play on the twin motif down at Samstag. Um, I'm a huge fan of Chris's work and it's been nice to talk to him a little bit about it in, in recent days and he's very serious about this, this, this project and, um, and his, uh, his um, approach to painting but I think Chris plays with um, traditional trompe l'oeil in a way that I suppose th this is hyper-realism and you believe it to be something, but, but you really believe Chris's work is, is something. He's physically creating an object. Um, it's, it's, I, I guess it's, it's sculpture, meaning painting, and then this, this unbelievable surface. I mean, I was with the kids yesterday and they were just, just dazzled by, by his work. And, um, you know, I, I love Chris's work. I think it's, it's, it's very... It's, it's, 
I, I think what's interesting about this kind of painting is you can come to it you know, in so many different ways and, and it's, you can appreciate it on different levels. It's, it's, it's crowd-pleaser, impressive surface stuff. But hopefully, usually, there's so much more beneath that surface and certainly with Chris's work, there's, there's these very dark conceptual strains that, that are really fascinating and I think it's... Uh, I love his work. I think it's great. He's a big fan of yours too. <laughs> Works both ways. Unless there's a burning, fabulous question, can I ask you to join me in thanking and congratulating Michael Douglas? <laughs> <laughs>